The all-new FreshBooks makes ridiculously easy accounting software that's completely transformed how freelancers and small business owners deal with their day-to-day paperwork. You can use FreshBooks to create and send invoices in about 30 seconds. There's no formatting and no formulas, just really simple, clean, and professional-looking invoices. And when you email a client an invoice, FreshBooks can show you whether they've actually seen it, which puts an end to the guessing games. FreshBooks is offering a 30-day unrestricted free trial to everyone listening. To claim it, just go to freshbooks.com money and enter Listen Money Matters in the How Did You Hear About Us section. Hey, what is up, everybody? And welcome to Listen Money Matters, ABV, the amount of fun in the bottle. My name is Thomas, and I'm here as always with my good friend, Andrew. Uh, Andrew, have you have you gotten into your ABV game yet? I have. I figured uh, the hair of the dog was appropriate, and Mm -hmm. I actually naturally reached for the highest ABV one. So I'm... (laughs) Well, hey, this podcast has got to be fun, right? Exactly. Exactly. So I'm Which starting at my water. Ooh. Well, yeah. what's in the bottle besides water? Tap water, mm. but it's Fiji label. So that, uh, I feel like Matt did the same thing. So I'm not even like making a good joke here. What's your joke? Oh, just I, I think like back in the day, Matt used to always be like, oh, I have a Fiji bottle, but it's tap water. And oh. I just do the same thing. Just like it feels I, fancy when you have it. Well, the other thing is if I buy a quality water bottle, I will lose it. Mm. Like always. I don't know. Um, I'm on probably my fifth cycling water bottle. Like I have those Camelback ones. See, I have the, the Camelback like Eddie or whatever. Uh, that thing's like attached to me. I have one for you know home, the one at work. Your water bottle. You named your water bottle Eddie? <laughs> that, that's like that's the addition. Weird, are you? <laughs> <laughs> But dude, I have this like weird scenario where my fridge, uh, usually my fridge has like four beers in it and that's like an optimistic gummy. I'm usually drinking it faster than I buy. Um, <laughs> you su- surprise, surprise. Right around the corner. You can just walk and get more. I, I just can't carry them fast enough. <laughs> uh, but we had, we had a cash flow night at my apartment um, last week. I saw the week. pictures. Yeah. Um, it's like the nerdiest game ever. Uh, you sit down. False. False. Well, okay, dude. So you sit down, you hand out uh, balance sheets and option worksheets to everyone. Everyone sits silently for like 20 minutes, fills it out. Then you audit your neighbor to the left's setup, and then the game begins. This just sounds like D&D light. <laughs> True. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. We go to the comic store every once in a while, and you see these role-playing game books. They're like four hundred pages long. And then, uh, I mean, the game I play, Magic I love the Gathering, that stuff. The rules for Magic are two hundred pages long. Oh yeah. And uh, yeah, at one point, I wanted to become a rules advisor because I'm crazy, and you have to basically know the rules page or the rules book, like. Like not like the back it. of your hand, but you like you literally take tests that are more difficult than most classes, like school tests you would take. It's like, mm. oh, this consecrated sphinx does this thing, but uh, turn two on the stack, blah blah blah. So what happens? And like, it's like a test. Yeah, dude. So, yeah. Like, I don't know if you've been here because uh, you're really close to the city. There's a place called the Uncommons, and it's in of- Manhattan. It's right by NYU. And it's a board game cafe and they sell beer. They sell oh. wine, coffee. Uh, you go in, you pay the for uncommons. a table. 
yeah, you pay for a table, you go, there's like a thousand zillion board games on the wall. Um, when Anna and I went there, there was actually a dude there who was like a board game designer. So we played some of his games and he taught us how to play them. It was, it was a good time. Oh my God. Okay. So I'm going. So we, we did that when we were in Copenhagen. It was like the best shit ever. Yeah. Um, and there's one in Hoboken and then you could get like beer, wine, whatever, or water, whatever you want to drink there. There's one in Hoboken. Mm -hmm. Um, but they're, they don't, you can't have alcohol. Ah. So I don't, I don't want to play board games without beer. What is that? Yeah, I know, right? It's like podcasting without beer. It just doesn't feel right. Yep. Just, I don't know. You got to serve beer. Just don't let people get like crazy and spill beer on your board games. That's true. You know, and that's just part of doing business. You're going to have to replace some board games every once in a while. Mm. Or you spill on it, you buy it. That's the, that's the policy you got to have right there. Yeah. Anywho. We're doing five questions today. Oh, by the way, our catchphrase, ABV, the amount of fun in the bottle, comes from Derek. He emailed it to us. You can email your catchphrases to us, listenmoneymatters at gmail.com, or if you want to be cool, tweet them mm. at moneymattersman on Twitter. And I think you phrased that wrong because you said, like, you can send your catchphrases in. Send us catchphrases. <laughs> you we, must. We teach you about homework. money. You're, you're all probably really wealthy now from listening. The least you could do <laughs> is send us a damn catchphrase. Anywho, let's get into these questions. First questions from Aaron via email. And uh, Aaron says, first off, let me start by saying I'm loving the investment property series you guys are doing. I totally want to get into this. Just need to figure out how to save for that first down payment. Feel you there. Mm. So my question is this. You guys talked about saving 15% a month for the reserve account to cover vacancy and break fixes. So let's say you own a great property and you don't have to dip into the reserve account much for a long, long time. Is there a point where you cap it and stop contributing to the reserve account? Mm. So seems logical to me. Yeah, and uh, one of like the whole uh, things is so you get your property put into an LLC, and it protects you. And then if someone sues you in the in the unlikely event, the hopefully unlikely event, someone sues you, they don't get much because there's not much in there. You've mm -hmm. taken most of the cash out, except for the reserve account. So I think like you're incentivized to not keep all the money in there right yeah because then you could potentially lose it um the what what i've done or what laura and i have done is uh we go for generally high deductibles um mm -hmm. so we pay less for insurance so some of our properties it's five and lately we've been doing ten thousand so everything up to ten we have to pay for um and then above ten you know like when a meteor hits the house or something uh insurance kicks in so what we're okay. doing is we're keeping the reserve account up to our uh, deductible. And the thought okay. is that I will never, ever, ever use the insurance unless I absolutely have to. And, and if something happens that the cost is that high, like, I mean, if it's above five or 10 or whatever the deductible is, like, I'm doing it. So that's, that's yeah. my rule of thumb. Well, the thing is, like, so I'm thinking about big things like a new roof, maybe. Mm. And I know, like, you are purposely out to buy properties that have been certified. The roof is going to last for the next decade. So mm. you're good on that front. But, I mean, I guess the question is, is the goal to have enough in the in the reserve account for a new roof? Mm. Or is it just to get to those in, uh, insurance deductibles? So, look. What you know, say you need a new roof and it costs you like eleven thousand dollars and your deductible is ten, right? And then you can make the yeah. the cost benefit analysis is worth, you know, calling it for a thousand dollars. Like But insurance doesn't pay for that, right? Uh what, a new roof? Yeah. 
So it, I think it would be like if a meteor hit the roof, right? If like your roof's right, right. coming to a point, you know, and it's going to need to be repaired, uh, you have to plan for that. And it, that's okay. one of the few expenses that are going to be like really, really big. Yeah. You know, it's not like every 10 years you have to replace like the right wall of your, your property. Like, Yeah, exactly. Um, at the end of the day, like say something happens and it costs like 15. Uh, if you, you know, if you go to the insurance, like you save five and maybe you pay that over 10 years, but then you could always, uh, you could always sell the property eventually and, and start over. Okay. So does that make, so basically you're keeping the deductible amount. That's what your goal is, right? Mm, yeah. Okay. And then after that, you just start like after that, you basically are saving what you would have contributed to that reserve to maybe buy the next property, etc. Exactly. Okay. And I, I think it is good to note that you make a pretty concentrated effort to um, mitigate the short term need for non-insurable fixes that are big, mm. like flooring and like roofs, um, redoing the driveway, stuff like that. We refuse to buy something if we know there's already an issue and like maybe yeah. we'd get better deals, you know, and if we had people and that's just not, yeah. we're, we're investors. We're not like, you know, property flippers or fixers. Yeah, you're not flipping. So th I think the thing, the important distinction to make here is that this is a strategy for people who are investing in well-maintained properties that are going to basically hold up for hopefully a decade or more. And with those kind of properties, you're going to get insurable things that will happen in which case your insurance should take care of it. And that's why you're saving up the deductible amount and small things, toilet cover breaking, stuff like that, you know, mm. and maybe you're lucky and your tenant is me and I just fix the toilet myself anyway. Yeah, so exactly. And yeah. you know, if you have like toilet issues, just tell them like, break it up with a brush before you flush. <laughs> Use the brush before you flush. You Boom. need to get a bunch of like little rhyming things and just like send it to your new tenants, and they're going to be like, "Wow, just my landlord is on like ridiculous. the inside of the door." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is a required thing. If you want to rent from me, you got to have use the brush before you flush engraved on the door. No, we're moving it. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Like rich tips save thousands of dollars a year in plumbing costs. Let's start like a DIY podcast that we only distribute to your tenants, and we're just like. Here's how to fix everything because we don't want to do it. <laughs> They're forced to listen to our voices like this is the worst. I'm leaving. This is awful. Yep. Anywho, so yeah, if you're, if you're going to flip houses, totally different thing. Mm. And honestly, not a strategy that we have gone into. And I'm guessing you, I'm not going to say I don't recommend it because I have friends who are doing it successfully. I know but people who do it. it's advanced, yeah. you know. It's like my and skill it, it's is less, uh, yeah. It's not you need that. A, you need a more in-depth skill set for that mm. and with this you need skills you certainly do but it, it's more learnable for the average person in a shorter period of time i think because you're using established practices and you're not mixing yourself up with broken things mm. you know i've toured a house that my friends wanted to flip um you don't get a you don't get a view for how much work it would take until you actually step foot inside a derelict house and oh like holes in floors like mold everywhere rotting stuff like yeah, yeah leave that to people who know what they're doing yeah and if you know what you're doing then hey 
more for you, I guess. So we're going to move on to the second question from there. This one comes from Joseph, also via the email. And he says, could you walk me through your decision to go with Roofstock as opposed to Memphis Invest or some other traditional turnkey company? My wife and I have spoken with Memphis Invest, and it seems like they run a really tight ship and have a very good reputation in the REI community, real estate investing. Were you simply looking for higher returns than their markets offered? Because I'm drawn to the fact that the properties are completely rehabbed prior to being rented, and they seemingly do a great job of reducing risk within their property management with a minimum two-year leases, very in-depth vetting, ECT, I mean ETC. So, yeah, just the question, why did you decide to go with Roofstock over something where it's more of a personal touch, smaller investing market kind of thing? So I just want to say Memphis Invest is a like extremely high quality operation, and I think like if you do any minimal amount of research, uh, like you're going to get that impression. Um, and if you call them, you're going to get that impression. Uh, Allison, who who I highly respect and, and actually have been like slowly following her footsteps, has I believe four properties with Memphis Invest now. So um, it they're they're good. Uh, and I, I don't even want to say that with like the improper inflection. They're they're good. Um, I personally wanted a higher return. Um, mm. I am I want to take on more risk. Uh, risk is like kind of my thing, I guess. Um, and uh, also, so one like the the properties are cheaper, and you're just getting a better deal. I feel like with Roofstock, right? But then you don't have the Memphis Invest um, value add there uh but also the houses for me in memphis invest were more than i wanted to spend on a single property um i wanted to spend like the most we've spent on a property is one hundred sixteen thousand. on um, that's even on and that's I, that's the mortgage value right that's the mortgage like the property that we bought it at we we put, so you were putting down like 22 23 probably or something like that everything with closing i think was like 26 like just shy of 27 okay thousand and um, I, I want to put like twenty seven thousand in one place for me is it just feels like a lot. I want it spread around a lot of places, so when something fails, there isn't a tenant. Um, like I'm still making money, and perhaps the whole portfolio of properties like eats that and is still profitable. So hmm. it would it would have taken me longer and would have been more difficult to do that with someone like Memphis Invest. Gotcha. So I, you can look at the space like one of those maps with the dual axes and you, know, you have risk and a level degree of risk and also your you know just degree of ease of use and all that kind of thing and memphis invest falls into a point where some people are going to want to be and then roofstock seems to fall into a different part in that little quadrant with a little bit more risk and that's where you want to be and, and to give you so. like a, a an example so the average of everything that i bought the return is about 27 percent um, and I'm sure mm-hmm. that'll go down as things break and whatever. Wait, that's your average? That's my average. Is I was thinking your 25% property was your high one. Damn, dude. So my highest one is Indianapolis at 35%. Um, that is and that, that's impressive. like borderline slumlording right there. Wow. Um, but uh, the thing is, uh, Memphis Invest, they, they quoted me 13% on a specific property. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I just wanted more. Okay. Mm. Fair enough, dude. Fair enough. All right. So we're going to get into a question here that is a not investing base, I don't think. Uh, this comes from, and I'm going to butcher this name. Uh, I think it's Nikita. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think so. 
interestingly spelled, also via email. And their question is, is there anything I can do credit-wise slash savings-wise slash career-wise to increase my likelihood of getting approved for a mortgage loan? And I mean, you, you have a mortgage. This is your second mortgage, actually, right? Or probably third, because uh, there was I've, Sandy. I've, I'm a lucky man that has four mortgages right now. Personal ones, not including. Oh, so I only have one personal. One. I mean, I've had. Well, I mean, you, you've you've lived in this place, and then your other Hoboken property, and then the place before Sandy, right? Mm-hmm. So at least those ones. So the place so were, were you renting Sandy, that one? Yeah, I was renting that one. Okay, so you've had two mortgages personally, right? Mm-hmm. So you probably know a heck of a lot more about this than I do. But I mean, the, the basics of it. If I mean, you can tell me if I'm wrong, but the basics are that you have to increase your creditworthiness. Yeah, you know, so it's really just um, not not exactly what can you do to get approved for a mortgage loan, but what can you do to just increase your attractiveness to creditors, which boils down to how do you increase your credit score? Exactly, and, and how do you increase your income? I'm guessing income is also a factor in getting a mortgage. And yeah, so that other piece is just like your debt to income ratio, where yeah. if you have less debt relative to your income, you can get a bigger mortgage. Mm-hmm. So I guess unless you just took this little snippet from a bigger email. We don't know anything about Nikita. Mm. She could be an 18 year old girl that has never had a credit card or she could be 27 with a career and you know, a bunch of stuff. We have no idea, but it all comes down to the fundamentals of building credit. What can you get? Um, how many open accounts can you have? Mm. You know, what's, what's your debt to, uh, equity or what is it? No, your income, your credit utilization ratio, yeah. those kind of things, like the big factors of credit score that we've gone over on this show before. I think we have a credit cards episode actually. Those are going to be the things, you know, and maybe like one of the bigger ones that's going to help you build credit if you don't maybe have a student loan already is a car loan. If you want to do that, all kinds of stuff. So some quick, uh, like, and we we have many episodes in and around this that are far more detailed and just like search a site. Um, and you'll find them, but uh, like some quick tips is like, if you have, uh, say you've had like poor credit cause you missed some payments, um, get more credit cards, put really small things on it, like Netflix on one Hulu on another, I, I don't know, some other, something small, like buy one coffee a month with another one and just pay them on time every month because, uh, what you get meet one of the big metrics is percentage of on-time payments and you will obviously get a much higher percentage of on-time payments if you are making more payments yeah um so there's that and then if you want to improve uh so there's your your debt utilization percent and then there's like the mortgage based one which is debt to income so your debt utilization is easy just you know, reach out to all of your credit card companies, call them, a lot of them have it available on their site and just request to increase your limit. So if your limit was 3000, yeah. ask for it to be four or five. They almost always say yes. And mm-hmm. then when you have more available, the percentage utilized is lower. And yeah, yeah. I did some quick Googling and most of the tips I'm seeing here, I Googled specifically for, you know, how to build credit for a mortgage and everything I'm seeing is basically, build good credit, use the credit building fundamentals that we've talked about. There's one tip on the uh, SF gate website 
And it says here, rent an apartment to use as a credit reference. Mortgage lenders will request proof of your current housing expenses and a strong rental history that can be verified by a management company or landlord will help you qualify for a mortgage. Hmm. So, and then pay your rent with a check or debit card so your bank statements reflect proof of payments. So that's that's one living uh, housing specific tip, but otherwise, you know, I've been building my credit. Let's see here. I've had my student loans, but otherwise, it's just been through having a credit card since I was 18 years old. So seven years of credit history, never once paid late, always on time, never carry a balance, you know, solid fundamentals there. And, you know, good credit. And, and just one thing, like when you're requesting a mortgage and, and you're going through this really shitty process, and it's actually way harder when you're going to live in the house and than if you're just investing it, mm-hmm. invest, you know, renting it. Um, they want to see all of your financials, all your assets, the A to Z. Um, if you have more assets, it's just easier. They have more faith in you. Um, so, you know, maybe your income is, you know, you don't have proof of rent or whatever, but if you've just saved a lot more than need, much more than you need to buy the house, like you'll be in better shape. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty simple answer there. All right. I feel like we're just blazing through these today, Andrew. Pew, pew. The nature of work is changing again. The internet has enabled more people to become self-employed professionals and small business owners. We're more connected, mobile, and autonomous, working in new jobs that we could not have even imagined a few years ago. Only five to 10 years ago, working for yourself was looked down upon. People thought you couldn't just get a real job. That's no longer true, and now one in three Americans are self-employed, and everyone who is self-employed needs to get paid. FreshBooks has built a super intuitive tool that makes creating and sending invoices ridiculously easy. You can create and send invoices in less than 30 seconds, customize those invoices, and know when your client actually looks at them. No more guessing games. FreshBooks even provides you with a dashboard to answer the one question that matters. How is my business doing? Because what gets measured gets managed. FreshBooks is offering a 30-day unrestricted free trial to everyone listening. To claim it, go to freshbooks.com slash money and enter Listen Money Matters in the How Did You Hear About Us section. So first community question is from Juan, and uh, he says, once you put your eye on a property, how are you able to assess if the purchase price of the house was fair? Did you basically use Redfin or Zillow to look at comparable properties around the area of interest, to see if the number from Roostock passed the sniff test? Um, okay, so there is uh, a very back-of-the-envelope rule of thumb uh, number. And they call it the, the 1% rule, or for people that are badasses, it's perhaps the almost 2% rule. Um, and basically what you do is you take a month's rent, so whatever it is, and so I'll give you the example from my Indianapolis place. $799 is a month's rent, and you divide it by the purchase price of the home. So in that case, it's 56500 So mm-hmm. $799 divided by 56500 It's 1.4. I like the sound effects. 1.41%. <laughs> and that's like really good. As, as long as it is at least 1%, um, like I think that's a fair price, and, and you pop it into our calculator, 
pro.listenmartmatters.com um, and it'll show you these all of these numbers. You don't even have to do the math. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it'll show you what the cash will look like in, in a terrible scenario. Um, and, and look, if you're making money, it's a good price. One good question. and Maybe we talked about this already on one of the other episodes um, with roof stock specifically, because I know they're the ones you're going with mm. is the rent guaranteed once you buy the property. Like, are you able to basically know, like I will get this much in rent per month or, you know, is there a situation where you might buy it and then it's like, Oh, I can't actually rent it for this much. I have to lower the price and that kind of, you know, messes with all your calculations. Mm. So um, there, there's a couple different sites that will uh, estimate what the rent should be for an area. Everything mm-hmm. you get through Roofstock will already have a renter in it. So that's like a pretty good, if someone's paying that, it's a pretty good litmus test. And they also tell you, uh, if you buy something from Roofstock, that uh, if there were any concessions that the homeowner had a like they're the landlord had to give like um you know don't give us anything down because you're paying this ridiculously high rent price or yeah. you know first month free because it's ridiculously high and, and those are like warning signs okay um if you had bought a property and closed in september Roofstock actually was guaranteeing your rent for a year um and they occasionally do things like that uh but uh I, I, I think like nothing's guaranteed and um, you just got to stick good tenants in there. Cool. All righty. And that means we just have one more question. So, and this is an interesting one. So this is from Eric. I don't know where it came from. The Aether, probably. <laughs> I don't know. I met a really cool guy named Eric at FinCon, so maybe it's just him, but... Not he sure. had this like weird question. You wrote it down. <laughs> yeah, he was like, actually, hey, I really want you to answer this on the podcast. So let me put it in the back of a napkin for you. And you're like, I will only do if it involves <laughs> mineral or oil payments. Yep. That's the only subject that I ever want to cover on this show. <laughs> he said, I was wondering if you guys have a sh- have a show on windfalls, particularly in regards to mineral and oil payments. Oh, what are the chances? It's about mineral. <laughs> wow. Exactly what I wanted to answer. So, I have no clue if there's any specific things you need to be aware of when it comes to mineral and oil payments. Is he literally getting paid in minerals and oils, or I, is it just a business that is invested in minerals and oils? So I saw this question. And I was like, mineral and oil payments, what are those? And then I was like, I'm not even going to Google this. Like, <laughs> now I'm going to look it up. Uh, I guess so, I'll do it for you. <laughs> uh, I, I mean, I, I figured it was a good question on like what win, like what would you do with a windfall? Like if you got, yeah. you know, like a million dollars or something. Yeah, that's a good question. Oh, do you ever, do you ever like think about what happened if you won the lottery? I would be afraid. I don't think I would be able to tell anybody. Um, I think it would be the worst thing that ever oh, happened. Th- there's a really good thread on Reddit mm. where this dude just, la- I think it's a comment where he just lays it out. He's like, congratulations. You've just won the lottery. You are almost guaranteed fucked. Mm. And then he like, just like lists all these statistics, like, you know, with some crazy percentage of lottery winners are either bankrupt or have less money than I started or reported depression or have, like committed suicide or been murdered by family members, like all kinds of dumb shit. It's like, Oh, it's horrible. I am personally against the lottery as an like idea because one, I don't like, I mean, you probably seen the John Oliver lottery episode. Mm. 
the way they like market to people who are impoverished, I, I don't agree with. But I also just don't really agree with being given money I didn't earn. It doesn't feel, so, yeah, like I, I want to sweat for it. Yeah, I want to sweat for it. I want to work for it. I want to feel that I've contributed something to society to be able to get that reward. So my automatic decision is I would immediately give somehow give it all away, you know. Like very few things would would prevent me from doing that. Maybe like a family member dying and needing hospital money or something. But um, windfall, regardless, it's kind of another situation. I don't know. Maybe it's like a inheritance or something. I don't know. Like, I guess the logical answer is plug it into your automatic system, mm. and assuming you maybe have percentages set up. Uh, you know, roll with it that way. If it's a really significant amount of money, you may need to sit down and rationally think about it, you know, because it, it, if it's really significant, it may actually change your decisions about the near future. It may unlock some things that you didn't even really have an inkling you could do, you know, oh, I can actually send my kid to college now, or I can, I've been really wanting to, you know, fund a park in my city or something like, you know, it depends on how much it is. Um, I always consider like the money we get in ad revenue from this show to be like a windfall <laughs> because the first time, so you told me that money was coming in for ads. Mm. You know, we, we, I think like it's over a huge. year ago, it's tremendous. It's just, you know, the biggest returns. Oh my mm. gosh. Podcast advertising. I can't believe that everyone should do it. We're going to build a wall. You and I were walking down the street in Hoboken, mm. down Washington talking. I think like that's where we decided on the split. Mm-hmm. and I promptly forgot about it. And I think you told me like, here's a spreadsheet with all of our ad things. And I was like, cool. And then forgot about that. And uh, it was like sometime in June or July, I had sat down and I calculated, okay, this is how much money is coming in this month. This is how much money is going out this month. Here's how much I will have. And then a few days later, like LMM ad money comes in. I was like, I didn't plan for that at all. <laughs> You know, I'd be better at sending it actually monthly. I forget (laughs) for two months. I think I did that two times. Yeah. So, I mean, uh, the the first couple of months ad payments, I'll be honest, I bought a desk, like a standing desk and a new office chair. Um, Now, I don't think those were frivolous because sitting in my crappy office chair, I was actually starting to develop some back pain. And I was like, you know what? If I'm going to sit or like work at a computer for the rest of my life, I should probably make some investments in keeping myself healthy. The man needs some lumbar support. <laughs> <laughs> it was a bad chair, but I'm standing right now, actually. Um, now, every time I podcast, I stand up now. And I, the money came in and I was like, okay, I have deemed that those purchases would be useful. And this money was here. I didn't have it in the budget, didn't plug it in at all. I'm going to move that to those purchases, you know? So it's very tempting to maybe use it on something frivolous and I would probably, you know, resist doing that. But if there's, if there's something that you've been looking at and maybe it's a logical purchase, but you haven't been able to afford it, a windfall could take care of that for you. Look, I'm you know? happy to help fund the Thomas Baller fund. <laughs> <laughs> uh, if, if it's yeah. ever, it's ever, it's ever too much. Let me know. Um, I, Maybe I, that's what I'll call it. LMM Mad Money is my baller fund. <laughs> <laughs> We're going out to dinner. The baller fund is is brimming. Mm-hmm. You uh, see this shirt? Baller fund. That that is a nice headphones. Shirt. Baller fund. Actually, this is an old sweater. I mean, it's nice, but it, I got it even before I started doing LMM. So. Dude, so, so, so to comment on the thing, like one, I definitely agree that it's probably just a bad thing. And you know, uh, there's this whole story about the you mean the lottery. 
Yeah, like when okay. just getting a lot of money, or even if say you built CIG up and into you know, like a fifty million dollar company and then sold it, I think that might even be a bad thing. And and the example yeah. is the guy who sold Minecraft. Um, Microsoft bought oh, it for gosh. some yeah. billions of dollars, and you know then he bought a crazy house and he got all the things he ever wanted and slipped into depression because now he doesn't have yeah. like a purpose for his life. I honestly believe that human beings are not built for crazy huge. No, no, no. For well, I think no. I think we are built for I'm happiness. Being sarcastic, but yeah. But I think happiness comes through work and gradual improvements. I honestly think that mm. human beings are not built for incre- like incredibly high immediate jumps in standing of any kind. Mm. Um, good example in my case, I have had oh two posts on my site. And one video that have ever gone viral, Mm. you know, like a hockey stick, bam, overnight. And what always happens is like the day after it crashes back down to normal levels. Maybe you got a a few people that have stuck around, but I feel like there's like a little bit of emptiness because it's gone down. Like that's, you know, it's like a little highlight point and it's so high. Mm. Right. Yeah. And it's so high that, you you know, once you get through it, you feel like, okay, well, I'm never going to do that again. Like that coming off the, you know, on the other side of a viral spike or windfall, you're like, is anything ever going to top that, Mm. you know? So I don't want to have like a $500 or million dollar inheritance from wealthy uncle Ned or a lottery or, you know, I don't even care about viral videos anymore. Like obviously it would do, it would do things for my business and I would like it. But when I publish a video, you know, I don't, I'm not going for virality. So, so I think like the maybe the the key is is to make it a project, right? And kind of now like the the speed that we're building wealth and and probably most people listening is not like so rapid that you're just like, you know, you're like flying at the speed of light. Like you know, I'm saving up and then I'm yeah. looking for a rental property and I'm doing that, or you know, mm-hmm. I'm saving up and and I put some in Fundrise, which has actually done really well for me. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, so if you get a windfall one, I think that you should move slow anyways. So you don't do something stupid. Uh, you have a million dollars, uh, invest it over the course of a year or years or whatever, or, or like invest it faster as, as you get more confident in what you're doing is working. Yeah. Um, and, uh, perhaps, you know, if it's so much money, like, uh, you know, obviously, if it's like billions of dollars, it's a different story. But maybe use it to build the business that you always wanted, um, but yeah. didn't have the ball to create, the time to create, the the safety net to create, right? Because it, it's a little bit of a luxury to build your own business and be like full time on it if you have no income. Um, I would say don't use it to make your life too easy. Mm. Like protect your ability to hope. And to strive a little bit, you know, Warren Buffett drives a Volvo like that. That should, you know, kind of. Yeah. Well, I, OK, so the, the person I admire the most uh, in, in terms of like windfall situation, this kind of thing is Derek Sivers. So he's an author, um, really smart guy. But his thing was like he was a musician when he was younger. And then he started this company called CD Baby. And CD Baby was like one of the first companies where a musician uh, could get their music on CDs and have a way to sell it to people 
without needing to be signed to a big major record label. Mm. So, you know, because of that, because of their dedication, they did really well. The company grew. They're still around. They are like, if you want, if you're a musician, you want to get all of your music on Spotify, iTunes, Google Play, whatever. Like CD Baby is a good way to do it because you can submit your music to them, pay a small fee, and they will get it on all those stores. Um, but Derek sold the company several years ago, maybe even more than 10 years ago. It's been a while now. But what he did, because he got millions of dollars from it, is he established trust that would pay him a certain amount every year, you know, pretty moderate, like well off a moderate amount. Mm. And then he gave the rest away. Oh, wow. I think he must have, he might have established a trust for like for some charity or something, but he basically he doesn't have it. He got rid of it. You know, I actually really like that. And there are a lot of people that are, that talk about like um, generational wealth and, and building, you know, I don't know, some ridiculous amount of money. And then you're just like a Rockefeller family. And yeah. I, I'm not concerned with that. Like I'm actually concerned with growing a bunch of assholes who don't know how to work, don't know how to yeah. value life in general because yeah, and just um at the end I of the day I think the Rockefellers did well in that regard. Mm. So cuz I mean they weren't giving their kids tons of cash. They were like you have to work for it. You get like a what was it, like a quarter a week or something was what John D Rockefeller gave his kids. Yeah. So so the first tiny generations amount. they did do good um and then then it got away from them. Yeah, I think like, you know, it's the guy who built it all on his back and or it could have been a woman or whatever on, on their back. And, you know, they instill that to their kids and maybe the, the kid remembers or, or their kids saw their grandpa. But after a few generations, like uh, the drive is gone. The lay yeah. it's like the telephone game. The lessons are diluted um, and it, it does a disservice to to have a kid who has everything or a, a, a human and they have no purpose in life. That, that sucks. Yeah. I just, uh, I, I recently re-listened to the wrath of the cons oh. series on hardcore history, which I know you really like. And he points out, you know, the Mongols, the Mongol army was the greatest army and military power and greatest conquering empire in human history. Hmm. And they would take over basically whatever they wanted at their heyday their strategy you know is incredible Mm. uh the interesting thing is like the strategy but also just the the genius of of genghis khan and things like that but one thing he mentions is a lot of times this would happen where the mongols would take over a civilization or take over a city move in eventually go native and then you know a generation or two they lose all these special abilities they had as horse archers that are living, you know, it's like eking out a meager existence on the steps because mm. they have to do. So what they ended up learning is that they would have to rotate troops in and out of these cities, mm. send them back to the step to drink horse blood and shoot birds on the horseback all day <laughs> because they lose the skills mm. if they don't. And that is the biggest threat to long-lasting power or long-lasting wealth uh, generation-wise is you end up losing people just through the passage of time who have the skills that enable you to keep that going. Mm. So you have to have some injection of like need to do work. And if you aren't careful, a windfall will just snuff that out. You know, they have this uh, thing in the military where um, if, if your like, body is built such that you could do like a, a million push-ups, um, they will never compliment you on push-ups. 
you know, mm. or if, or if you're naturally outgoing and have like leadership qualities and you're leading a team, they'll never compliment you on being a leader. It's the, the scrawny guy who could do two push-ups and he did 20. They're like, wow, that was like a really good job. But like, you know, and the, the whole thing is, uh, in the military, they don't want anyone to feel like, um, they, like, because their body, they're innately able to do a million push-ups. They yeah. want to encourage you to strive because um, it, it the, the truth is that you you have like some gifts that you are given from birth that are just your innate abilities, but the eighty percent of it you developed on your own. Yeah. Um, yeah. So you have all the money, and you're maybe you're a smart guy or girl because your parents were brilliant, and uh, if you don't use it, you lose it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, wh- whatever point in life you're at, there's some point that can be better through the multiplication of what you have with effort. Hmm. So strive to keep that. How do you, you know? speak so eloquently, Thomas? I, I like get halfway through <laughs> the story and I'm like, fuck, fuck, I don't know where I'm going. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, I just I just listen to you and I do the opposite. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> but seriously, that's what I do. <laughs> Anyway, uh, is that about do it for this episode, dude? Yeah, I think it's good. Cool. All right. Well, hey, if you got questions that you want to get featured on our next five questions episode or answered by very smart people who are in our audience, probably know more than us, mm. the best place to get those answered is in our community. You can go join that at pro.listenmoneymatters.com. And uh, otherwise, you can email us, listenmoneymatters at gmail.com as well. And we will feature the best questions in our five questions episodes. Lastly, if you want to find our favorite resources, apps, books, tools that we recommend, you can find them in our toolbox over at listenmoneymatters.com slash toolbox. And that's all we got for you guys. So thanks again for listening. And we will see you in that next episode. Later, man. Later, dude. Tell your friends about this show. Special thanks goes out to FreshBooks for sponsoring this episode. She works hard for the money. So hard for the money.